Now they're making Ghostbusters with only women. What's going on? Shut up and sit down. We will respond with that timeless creed that sums up the spirit of a people. Yes, we can. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other thing, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on Earth. I know the human being and fish can coexist peacefully. Read my lip. And then we're going to Washington, D.C. to take back the White House. Ah! I love the poorly educated. We're the smartest people. We're the most loyal people. Ooh, you guys are in for a treat today. <laughs> You're going to hear so much of me. make so angry. <laughs> Oh, boy. Hi, guys. Welcome back. It's Barstool Politics. I'm your host, Nick McGuire, joined as always by uh, Dr. Bill Muck from North Central College and Dr. Phil Barker from Keene State College, who isn't with us today. Dad's not here. Let's go fucking crazy. <laughs> we should tell the listeners what happened to Phil. Yes, please do. He was shoveling and threw out his back. Uh-huh. The poor guy. Mm-hmm. He shouldn't be shoveling you, at, at his age. No, despite yeah. evidence to the contrary, Phil is not 70 years old. <laughs> so right. there's that. And we were talking before we started taping that, you know, Phil has been on a good run. You know, it was a while <laughs> back where he had his back issues. He had shingles, shingles <laughs> and there were some maladies that kept him from, you know, <laughs> being on regularly but he'd been on a good run mm-hmm. he's sh- shoveling sh- oh. <laughs> anyway so it's me and and bill today which is how we started the podcast yeah. oddly enough this is our 150 150th episode as well um so yeah that's that's a big deal that's something yeah yeah um before we get started though all the usual fun stuff if you guys like the podcast, have questions, comments, beer suggestions, uh, want to see what we're up to, uh, any announcements or things like that, follow us on Twitter uh, at Barstool Paul, P-O-L, Facebook at Barstool Politics. Beers that we try, you can find on Untapped on iOS or Android. Just search for Barstool Politics on there. The podcast, um, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play Music, most major podcasting platforms. Uh, and if you've been here the past couple weeks, I believe, uh, we have uh, our own merch line now as well, which you can find on uh, teespring.com. Uh, we've got uh, a hoodie, a couple different kinds of shirts, a mug. We're going to be adding two more mugs. stuff. Two, two mugs. mugs. We have two, two mugs. Yeah. Old logo, new logo. Oh, right. Yeah. Check that shit out. Um, I'm telling you, the hoodie, Nick, is fantastic. It is super I high love, quality. I love my hoodie. <laughs> I believe you can still get it before Christmas if you order now. So order as many as humanly possible. Um, like I said, uh, go to Teespring, uh, search for the Barstool Politics Store. I still haven't found a good direct way to get there. But if they go to social media, right? Yes, yeah. we will definitely put it out on social media. Um, so look for that. Um yeah, and then with the podcast itself, which I completely forget to mention most episodes, uh, we always appreciate reviews and support. So like us, share us through there, whatever the hell you guys do. Write some comments. We've had some good comments lately about the podcast. Good comments. Yeah. Uh, students sucking up to the two of you, which is always <laughs> nice. <laughs> no one sucks up to me, unfortunately. Um yeah, so uh, we're kind of going to go back and forth on, on a few different things today. Lots of really interesting topics. Um, Impeachment is going to be the big one, uh, Inspector General report. Um, so I'm just going to give a quick intro on that and we'll go from there. Yeah. 
so it's been a busy week in Washington. Uh, on Tuesday, House Democrats unveiled two narrowly drawn articles of impeachment against President Trump, alleging that he had abused the power of his office and obstructed Congress in its investigation of his conduct, uh, conduct regarding Ukraine. On Monday, the Justice Department's Inspector General, Michael Horowitz, released a much-anticipated report on the origins of the years, uh, years-long investigation into the origins of the Russia investigation. Oh, my God. That's a long one, Nick. This is really long. <laughs> the 434-page report, report yeah. found that the investigation had not been tainted by political bias and was properly predicated. Yet, while the report found the investigation was not driven by political bias, it did rip the FBI's handling of FISA applications for uh, surveillance warrants. Both sides seized on the report as vindication, and President Trump and his attorney general, William Barr, took aim at the FBI. Trump attacked FBI Director uh, Director Christopher Wray for not agreeing with his interpretation of the findings, tweeting, quote, I don't know uh, what report current director of the FBI Christopher Wray was reading, but it sure wasn't the one given to me, end quote. Barr went even further, accusing the FBI of acting in, quote, bad faith, noting, I think our nation was turned on its head for three years. I think based on a completely bogus narrative that was largely fanned and hyped by an irresponsible press. And I think there was uh, there were gross abuses of uh, FISA and inexplicably uh, inexplicable behavior that isn't tolerable in the FBI. We could devote the entire episode to breaking down Bill Barr's recent behavior. uh, But why don't we begin with impeachment and then work our way over to the IG report? Um, Bill, what the hell do you make of all this? So this is really interesting. (laughs) So to start with impeachment, I think if we look at the first. So there they've got two impeachment articles, obstruction, I'm sorry, abuse of power and obstruction of Congress. It's really, really narrow. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so as, as as important as those two are, what is left out to me is really, really interesting. So they didn't touch bribery. We've been spending a lot of time talking about bribery. Right. It was originally quid pro quo, quid pro quo. Yeah. Then it became bribery. And now they're not even going to worry about it. Which is kind of stunning <laughs> because to me, it feels like bribery is the, is the, is the case that you could make to the public with that make, would make a lot of sense. And I know, you know, Tom made a really, compelling argument to say is it a thing of value right. you know if trump had said you know we want you to start an investigation you know and, and or you know for a million dollars or something like that that mm-hmm. makes bribery the easier case um i still think that one was a really interesting argument and i'm kind of surprised so that's not in there um any of the emolument stuff all the money stuff didn't touch that and maybe most importantly, they didn't go back to the Mueller investigation and obstruction of justice. Three years worth. Right. <laughs> so, you know, and, and when I think about this, that, that suggests that this is a they're trying to make this simple for the American public. It's all about Ukraine. Nothing about Russia. Nothing about money. Nothing about any of that stuff. Um, and it's not really their best legal case. No. I mean, if you're just going to make a case on legal arguments, the obstruction of justice stuff from the Mueller report is incredibly powerful. You know, Mueller looked at like 10 or 11 obstruction issues. He laid out there's three elements to obstruction of justice. And for five of them or so, he said that it meets all three of them. So this felt like a strong legal case. Mm -hmm. Democrats didn't want anything to do with that. I don't don't understand that. And I understand why they would try and simplify this as much as is humanly possible. But to your point, I I feel like they're going after the wrong issue. If if in the end this is going to become a legal proceeding, because it has to do that. If, if your end goal is to either hold him accountable to the point where you at the very least impeach him, but not necessarily remove him from office or ultimately remove him from office, you better have some concrete evidence yeah. of it. And it seems like as much as the Ukraine, I won't even call it a fiasco, the, the, the incident um, is problematic <laughs> in a lot of ways. 
I think that there's enough leeway and gray areas where it's simple, but it's not simple enough to where you can paint this in black or white. The American people are going to know this is wrong or there was a law that was broken. You haven't mentioned anything close to that. And I, 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 I don't think this is going to work. I really don't think it's going to work. When you say it doesn't work, like in terms of removing him from office yes. or polit- – Oh, yeah. Yeah, and I, th- I think that's true. Mm-hmm. And if that's the case, if there's no potential to remove him from office, which I think – now, if, if Phil were here, he would say maybe, right? It could happen. We shouldn't, we shouldn't predict. But I think the odds are really long that something would break where the Republicans would move against him. So essentially, you're doing this for history. Right. You're doing this. The Democrats are saying they're doing this because it's the right thing to do. We should hold somebody who abuses their power accountable. Well, if that's the case, why not make the full case? Right. You know, the Mueller report, the emoluments, like show the ways in which this individual has abused the office of the presidency. Don't make a clean, narrow, tiny, you know, just on Ukraine. I, I'm, I am a bit surprised on that. And it's political. That's why they're doing it. Yeah, but yeah, it's absolutely political. But it feels like it's it's that that constant need of uh, Democrats to pull the country yeah. and figure out what's going to play best. And I even I don't think their 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 instincts in this situation are, are right to begin with. Um, I, I just it feels like they keep chipping away at their own argument to the point where as much as we've talked about that the proceedings aren't necessarily moving public opinion one way or another uh, in any significant way that would change the outcome of an election or anything like that. Um, Now it seems like popular opinion. As you take these arguments away, you have less and less of an opportunity for people to change their opinions. This is a really kind of abstract thing that you're trying to remove a sitting president from office for who was duly elected. Especially if you do it quickly, right? And and, and they they really want to do it quickly. Right. Uh, And I, and I, I understand, and I think Adam Schiff made a good argument for why you should move quick. No, he didn't. (laughs) But I also think there's an argument for taking this slow. Um, you know, the, and I, there's also the sensitivity and I think there's, they're trying to pull the public, where's the American public on this, but maybe more importantly is where the centrist Democrats are, where the moderate or the, you know, those who are in danger of losing an election. I, I would guess that may have driven Pelosi more than the public as a whole. So you 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 know, you're polling your members of Congress, like, are you going to be okay if you vote for impeachment just on the Ukraine thing versus bringing in the Mueller investigation versus the emoluments. And there probably wasn't enough support for that broader one, even though I think that's the more powerful legal argument. Yeah, I I, I go back and forth on how much of an influence the the further uh, progressive left wing element of the Democratic Party uh, has over the, the larger argument. There was another story earlier today. I think it was it was either regarding the uh, NAFTA replacement or something else where there was some elements within the uh, the more extreme element of the Democratic Party were wavering in their support of, of the policy that was getting put in place. And there were more moderate elements going, we don't really care. You know, don't let uh, perfection stand in the way of progress, I yeah. think was the quote. So I think that as much as there's been a lot of fanfare when it comes to uh, new members of Congress who kind of uh, rode that progressive wave in, I think there is still an, an extraordinarily powerful uh, segment of, you know, establishment Democrats who don't give a shit what they think. Who are way more moderate mm-hmm. than the than than the AOCs, right? That, this is the big struggle within the Democratic Party. Where is the soul? 
there are some that are making a compelling case that it's further left. But I, I think the bread and butter is still a much more moderate voice than in the Democratic Party than maybe even than the Republicans are. Yeah. So then if you're thinking about, you know, if you're Nancy Pelosi and you're trying to you have to stay in power because if you're not in power, doesn't this matter. doesn't happen, right? I mean, you don't get to bring impeachment charges if you're the minority party. So she has to stay in power. And I think that's the right thing to do. And I, I'm guessing that's why they moderated and went with the more narrow, you know, just on Ukraine, two charges. I mean, if you go back to the Bill Clinton impeachment, I think the Republicans initially brought four and only two of them passed. Mm -hmm. So that was a bit of a defeat. Um, <clears throat> she didn't want that. She didn't want to divide the party. But it is, you know, I, I wonder, is it is it short term political? Is it historical? Like what is driving them? And it, it's all of the above. Well, I, you 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 made the point. It's you know, if this is about history, then make it about history. If you mm -hmm. want to make it about power and staying in power, you this is your moment. Realistically, the the likelihood of there being negative ramifications of this is if he's not removed from office, you know, if you go full bore with everything that you have and it still doesn't work out. You've done what you're supposed to do, quote unquote. But now you've narrowed it down so, so minutely that I, I, I'm not sure that it's that it's enough to save you. And, and like it seems you keep trying to to simplify it to the point where it makes no difference. It's diluted to where nobody cares anymore. And if Phil were here, he would make the argument. I'm, I'm guessing I'm, I'm channeling Phil now that you, you make the argument for history, right? You say we're going to do the right thing because it's the right. right thing to do. And then you bring all of that stuff in, right? You bring in Mueller, you bring, you show the totality of Trump's successes. And it feels to me that that might be a persuasive case to the American public instead of letting, you know, members of Congress and the public dictate, you dictate to them. You say, we're going to make the case and then you decide. Right. Uh, I think there, I don't know. I, there's part of me that wishes they had moved in that direction, even though I think it's, you know, it's probably not the most immediate politically expedient move. Yeah. No. What do you think? I'm, I'm really, I'm, I'm convinced at this point, I, I'm, I'm positive. He's not going to be removed from office. I, I mean, that's, that seems blatantly obvious to me, especially the way in which the Republicans have circled the wagons right. around the Ukraine issue and all of this. Yeah, correct. Um, what do you think the political ramifications of this are for the Democrats at this point? Great question. The one thing I would say is that being impeached still is going to hurt Trump. What do we, we've only had two presidents impeached? So you hang that around his neck and that it, the, the process playing out, I think, still chips away at him a little bit. So, you know, I think it's going to be harder for him to do what Bill Clinton did. So Bill Clinton, you know, as the impeachment process played out, ultimately he apologized for it. He took some accountability and he moved on and his poll numbers were strong. I'm not sure if Trump is going to handle this in a way that will allow for him to increase his numbers. I, I think the opposite. You think so? I think I, I, I I think that as much as the the actual act of, of impeaching a president is, you know, not unprecedented, but it's 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 extraordinarily rare. Maybe not so much in, in the modern context at this point. It's still, really still right. I mean, you got to go all the way back to Clinton. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think that, you know, th this this entire podcast has been predicated on this kind of new era of, yeah. of political discourse and 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 um, the way that the political system operates. I don't think that there are going to be long term ramifications of this. If he does stay in office, if anything, I think this bolsters support for him, especially within the Republican Party. Um, I, I I think that, again, in conjunction with 
the Democrats diluting the case to where there's one specific instance where you're trying to pin everything on, you don't have that historical kind of all-encompassing mm -hmm. argument where people go, all right, yeah, we know this was a political game and we know how we got off, but there's all this other shit here. And, and I, I just, I, I think that the, the overall polarization of the country and the political parties um, and the, the, you know, larger ideologies that are, are within the country, I don't think there's going to be a lot of movement, just like we haven't yeah. seen a lot of movement in the polls, realistically. The one thing I'm curious about is I think it's likely the House will vote impeachment. It moves to the Senate. And then how the Senate handles it will be really important. And it could go a couple ways. I mean, you could have the Republicans circling the wagon, making a defense for Trump. That could help him. It could also hurt him if it feels like it's a kangaroo court, right? If it doesn't feel like it's legitimate, there could be some negative repercussions for Why? that. The public could look at this and say, like, oh, this this it's clear that he did this thing. Uh, let's have a conversation about that. Right. As opposed to your cons. So it's hard to know. Right. If it's a fair if the process plays out fairly. It I, I don't know if there's going to be a lot of movement, but the, the Republicans could overplay their hand. And I think there could be some negative implica implications to that. And I, I also think, you know, being the fourth, I'm sorry, third president in history to be impeached. That is something that is, you know, it will have some impact on the voters. I, I don't think so. Yeah. Man. I don't think so. It's, <laughs> it's, it's such it's, a weird place to be because we don't know. No, right? it's, yeah. it's this this bizarre seesaw that yeah. we find ourselves on as much as I, I agree. If it's a kangaroo court and the Republicans overplay their hand and it's it's blatantly obvious that they're just, you know, using political tactics to. Uh, and, and, you know, their their uh, numbers within the uh, with uh, in the Senate to to get him off. Yeah. There are plenty of Republicans that are sitting there right now as these proceedings are going on, going, this is the exact same thing. Right. Why would this be any different sure. from the opposite perspective? You know, it was stunning. So um, NPR did a look back on the, the Clinton impeachment impeachment in the Senate mm -hmm. and they were talking about the rules. And I think, you know, Tom's talked about this, the importance of the rules, you know, what counts as evidence. The chief justice will be there. The Senate voted like 100 to nothing. I mean, everybody was on board with the rules. Mm -hmm. And they were saying that, that that's not likely to happen now. Everybody agreed. They came together. They said, what's what's a fair process? Mm -hmm. And everybody agreed with the process. Yeah. If that, I mean, that's, that's I, I don't know any way that happens, right? If it did happen, and I, I hope it happens. I hope that everybody could come together and say, you know, separate from our sides, we should allow this process to play out in a fair way mm -hmm. that would grant integrity to the to the trial itself. I, I think there's see, I'm going to take the opposite yeah, yeah. point again. <laughs> I think there's a, a better likelihood of a, a, the vast majority of senators agreeing on the rules, yeah. knowing specifically that everything is going to come down to a party line vote. Yeah, I, right. I as much as it could you know, again, don't don't ask the question that you don't know the answer to yeah. already and don't play a political hand that you you aren't you aren't um, confident that you're going to be able to benefit from. So why try and rig the game when you know you can already win the game to begin with? And I, I am really surprised the degree to which the Republicans have gotten behind Trump. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, at some point I thought he would be toxic for at least for certain senators and certain members of Congress. Uh, it really is. They are fully behind him. There's I mean, Mitt Romney is doing what Mitt Romney does. Like he's been critical, but in a quiet way. Yeah. Uh, I it is it is really stunning the degree to which 
the partisan divide is playing out. And we'll talk about this later. It's, it's like, a you know, we've, we've fully entered the po- post-truth reality. Yes. Um, yeah. It's, it's just bizarre. Should we transition to, to the IG report? Yes, Because oh, for, for me, this was maybe more interesting <laughs> than the impeachment stuff. I agree. So, so the inspector general, this is a government employee who's charged with investigating uh, the origins of the Trump investigation and specifically the the investigation into Carter Page, Papadopoulos, Manafort, Gates or that it wasn't a broad investigation of the Trump administration Russian or the collusion. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. But it was, you know, those individuals. And so he comes back with this 434 page document, which says that, you know, there was no political bias to the process, but just as a scathing attack on the FISA process itself. And in particular, you know, poor Carter Page. You know, I mean, years ago, when we first started this podcast, we were talking about Carter Page a lot. Yeah. Um, and that that dynamic where I listened to this and felt like, okay, here's an example where the bureaucracy works, right? It looked at this. It did an exhaustive investigation. It said, you know what? The FBI did it's did the right job. It, it started the investigation for the right reasons. When it was doing that, you know, the FISA surveillance warrants on Carter Page deeply troubling, deeply problematic, 17 different incidents of that. Um, it felt like, okay, here we can step away from the partisan divide. But no, Nick, we no, cannot. No, know? of course not. <laughs> you know, it, I mean, Trump came out and said, like, this is a full vindication. And most interesting is, like, Bill Barr was on board as well and mm-hmm. said, no, spying has occurred. It was as if nothing happened. Like, the report didn't matter. No. Yeah. Nothing matters but, at this point. It's, it's so sad, Nick. <laughs> I mean, we were talking about it before we started recording. Yeah. Like, as much as I, I want to think that, yeah, there was no political bias to it or anything like that. I find it exceptionally hard to believe that you have gross violations of uh, trying to grant or, or granting FISA warrants. The way in which they went about getting the way those that FISA, they, yes, yes, evidence yes, they the used that they yeah, did. Yeah. Just and for Carter Page. Just for okay. Carter Page. For Carter. But then there's no political bias to it whatsoever. That's I I I how do you separate the two of them? Well, so remember with Carter Page. So there's a lot. Carter Page is this wonderful actor in American politics because, you know, going back a couple of years, he was and we know this. He was intentionally targeted by the Russians as somebody they thought they could turn. Mm -hmm. So it, it could be that it's not bias. It's just that, you know, this guy, we know this guy was at one point. The Russians thought they could turn him. Well, maybe we should. So it might be just that this guy looks like he could be, you know, a Russian agent. So we should, you know, not necessarily political bias, but just, you know, operational bias. You're not you're not doing your job in the right way. You're just assuming uh, that he is a Russian agent when when in fact he wasn't. But I mean, doesn't that go to the the initial point of Barr and Trump in the early days of, of his presidency talking that there is. I, I don't uh, um, I, bias isn't the right word, but bias is in there to some extent, but that there is some level of even corruption isn't the right word, but because no, yeah. um, it gets to this issue of intent, right? Yes. Yeah. Impropriety within federal law enforcement. Isn't that kind of trouble? Yeah. But the question is, what is the motivation? Right. So you're, you're right. If 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 evidence were to show that they were doing this for individual interest, you know, maybe it benefited them or political interest. You know, that's that's a huge story. If they're doing they're just bad at their job. Or, but that's a win. Like that's a win for Trump. Realistically. Yes. I mean, if if you were and 
I, yeah. I, I love having these arguments where yeah. it's what they should do in mm-hmm. these situations and they're not going to do it. It should be, yeah, something was wrong here. It wasn't necessarily an overarching conspiracy within the Justice Department or, or yeah. within the uh, intelligence agencies that, that were uh, at fault. But there are major issues within the FBI or the CIA or anything else that we need to strip away at yeah, this point. Absolutely. I I, 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 and I think th- that that could be a, a real boon to them. And they're I, not well, I think take it could be a real boon to the country, right, to say that, you know, the FISA process should be more thorough. My guess is the FBI is, you know, get some information that Carter Page has now joined the Trump team and they know that this guy had previously been recruited by the Russians. So, you know, whether or not they think the you know, Trump isn't necessarily in cahoots with the Russians, but that Carter Page may be, mm-hmm. they didn't do their homework. Right. Uh, you know, and we have somebody who still follows this, Carter Page's hat. Remember him? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it, so it may be that they didn't do their due diligence looking into Carter Page. And I think that's the, that's the biggest. And that the FBI should be ripped for that. Uh, for you know the negligence, not doing their job, but that to me is separate from this this bar not bar the the way in which Trump has described this as this is a, a democratic coup, this is you know spying. No, I don't think the evidence, or at least the report, doesn't support that. No, I, I don't think so either uh, to that extent. Mm-hmm. But I do think that some of the initial information that came out about Carter Page and the Trump uh, campaign and, and early days of the administ- administration in general also came from. The Steele dossier, did it not? It did, but it was... So the interesting thing there is the sequencing matters. So the investigation was begun before the FISA warrants and all of that, right? So those are... So the investigation was predicated and started separate from all of that. Sure. And then you start talking about looking individual, you know, surveillance of individuals. Right. You have to do that before you look for a warrant. You have to have an investigation. But regardless, information that was... Uh, not integral, but was part yeah. of that oh, investigation absolutely. came from that initial political research. Right. That was supposed to help a political challenger, which is so messed up. Right. Because so how is there not political bias? In right. But, the, but the, we've talked about this before. Like, but remember, like the Steele dossier begins with Republicans, then shifts the Democrats. Oh, and the other wrinkle that I think is fascinating. Do you know who Christopher Steele is is good buddies with? Who is that? Ivanka Trump? No way. Yes, absolutely. Nick. That's crazy. <laughs> so in his test, in the report, they talk about the fact that, you know, he was, you know, he he has connections to the family, which mm-hmm. all of that is like, you can't make this stuff up. Yeah, it's so bizarre. the one guy who is thought to be trying to undermine the Trump camp- campaign and presidency is hanging out with Ivanka. Nick, I, I just, I don't know what to make of any know. of this. It's so bizarre. <laughs> you know, um, what? It almost seems more likely that there is just some sort of vast global conspiracy. That's it right. seems the most likely scenario. Okay, what about the other other element of this? Is so the IG releases the report. Christopher Ray, the current and and Trump pointed this out. Current head of the FBI points out or made a statement saying that we see that there's no evidence that Ukraine was involved in the uh, twenty hacking of the 2016 election. Right? Mm-hmm. He basically says that there's no evidence for this, undermining what Trump has said. And Trump responds saying, I don't know what report current director of the FBI, Christopher Wray, was reading, right? I mean, that he's now attacking his FBI director. Yeah. So he gets rid of Comey. He puts in his guy. And now he's attacking his own guy. Yeah. <laughs> 
Sorry. There's there's no way he can fire him, right? No, I don't think so. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, I, again, this is, you know, it's political appointees. He can do whatever he wants, frankly. Can he not? But you're right. He could. But the FBI is appointed for 10 year, re, 10 year, 10 year for a reason, right? So that they're not driven by political motivation. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I just can't. I can't imagine he would do that. But every time I say that, he does it, right? Right. I, I mean, how many people has yeah. he, he lopped their heads off? The one thing that strikes me, though, is that I think there should be some faith in the in the deep state. I mean, Christopher Ray, appointed by Trump, is doing his job in the right way, right? Faith in the deep state. Yes. Right. You know, I mean, I, I think that we've seen this. The inspector general report came back and said, while the FBI has made mistakes and they need to get better. And I think that we should take that very seriously. You know, the idea that this was you know, some sort of attempt by the FBI to prevent a Trump presidency. I don't, I don't know. I mean, the report said there's no evidence for that. Sure. There is the parallel report coming from uh, John Durham, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the U.S. Attorney General that may counteract some of that. But we'll, we'll have to wait and see for that. <laughs> so I, I really feel like this is a this is a case to be made to say that there is value in the government and the bureaucracy that they're you know, it's not a deep state. There are people doing their jobs for the right reasons. Well, I think there are people doing their jobs for the right reason. But the 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 leeway that they're given to achieve their objectives seems exceptionally problematic, given yeah. the the um, the methods that they use to uh, uh, get the FISA warrants. I, I think that there's there's an argument to be made that something needs to be done within federal law enforcement to curtail their ability to just like they were coming up with fake emails or and and things to to yeah. try and get these warrants to go through. Like it was it's to me it was scathing. Yeah. And, and that's that's really troubling. The Carter Page. I, you, Nick you love Carter Page. <laughs> well, you know what's, what's No, funny? he's a douche. You know, like let's make that perfectly clear. <laughs> no, but you and I uh, yeah. You know what's interesting to me about all this though is, you know, if we go back, you know, two previous administrations, go to the George W. Bush administration, that was where a lot of these FISA warrants were getting attention. Sure. And Democrats were up in arms right. over FISA warrants. Mm-hmm. And now it's it's the other way. The Republicans are up in arms over FISA warrants. And mm-hmm. I think it suggests that there should be greater effort put into those. You know, I mean, I think they, they're far too often the government signs off on them without. And, and if that if that develops out of this, great. It um, won't, but no. well, maybe it will. Lindsey Graham seems really upset about this. <laughs> well, if Lindsey Graham is upset, I think we have nothing to worry yeah, about. Yeah, but it does strike me that we're in a post-truth reality where you know Bill Barr comes out, and and you know you can listen to what the Inspector General says, and then you see Trump and Barr respond to it, and it's so disjointed uh, that you don't even need to respond to what's in it. You just make up your own reality that that that's concerns me Nick. well reality is relative i, I don't know. even know why we're discussing I this I <laughs> oh um, my god but there's there's so much more to talk about on that one should, we, should we talk beers we should probably all talk right what, what are we enjoying nick uh run stone today so we are so uh a little behind the scenes thing here uh when uh, senior uh legal analyst tom cavanaugh was here last week um we had these after we stopped recording um and they were really, really good. Yeah. And we wanted to review it. Um, so we're having a stone espresso totalitarian imperial Russian stout, which is ever so fitting. Yes. Um, this just as as time goes on, um, I used to hate stouts. And realistically, because they were ones that they had up until a few years ago were really bitter, really heavy. Um, and they just they didn't they had no appeal. Yeah. And they've gotten so oh. good at them now. Oh. And they're maybe my favorite beers. Um, 
this had just the right amount of, of coffee to it, but a little bit of sweetness, just the right amount of head. Um, it was, it's just good. This it's is really it's good. It's a spectacular beer. And it's like over 10%. Yeah, 10.6. It's really But it is incredibly, good. to use Phil words, drinkable. drinkable. It is just a, you know, you know, you're sitting in front of the fire, reading a good book, have this beer. I mean, I, I, I love the Russian Imperial Stouts right now. Yeah. Oh, and I love that the weather is now getting cold because we can enjoy them, Nick. No, I don't want, no, I don't want that. <laughs> and but... a, a Stone, when Stone does a beer well, it's mm-hmm. spectacular. Yes. This is a really, really good one. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Phil would have another, I would think. Well, no, but Phil only drinks IPAs. You know. only drinks IPAs? Well, that's Did all I never realized. That? It's only New England. It's all, no, actually double IPAs. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, See, we just get to make fun of Phil, and he doesn't—he can't do shit about yes. it. So there you go. Um, yeah. So uh, if you guys want to check out the beers that we have on the podcast, uh, download uh, Untapped on iOS or Android. Uh, like I said at the beginning, uh, search your Barstool Politics on there, and you will find all of our reviews. Speed around time, Nick. Yes, sir. All right. So on Monday, the Washington Post released a blockbuster story that unfortunately is getting next to no attention. Mm. Oh, this, we're both upset about this. <laughs> they have obtained more than 2,000 pages of confidential documents which reveal that top U.S. officials misled the American public about the war in Afghanistan in order to conceal doubts about the likelihood that the U.S. could be successful in the nearly 20-year war effort. Obtained through the Freedom of Information Act, the documents were part of a government report titled titled, Lessons Learned. I love the title. That examined the root failures of the war effort through interviews with more than 600 people. The papers of the interviews, quote, bring into sharp relief the core failings of the war that persist to this day. As U.S. officials acknowledge that their war fighting strategies strategies were fatally flawed. The story noted that, quote, several of those interviewed describe explicit and sustained efforts by the U.S. government to deliberately mislead the public. In one particularly powerful interview, James Dobbins, a former uh, senior U.S. diplomat who served as a special envoy to Afghanistan under Bush and Obama, told government interviewers, quote, we don't invade poor countries to make them rich. We don't invade authoritarian countries to make them democratic. We invade violent countries to make them peaceful, and we clearly failed in Afghanistan, unquote. Nick, that one is just, oh, bad. yeah. <laughs> Maybe the most telling was that John Subko, the head of the federal agency that con- conducted the interviews, acknowledged to the Washington Post that the documents show, quote, the American people have been constantly lied to. That, that, that is the guy who did this report. Mm-hmm. He is saying that. Nick, we talked about uh, before we go on air that we found this contrast between Afghanistan and what happened in Vietnam with Nixon and Johnson to be really interesting. Why don't you, why don't you start us off? <laughs> that's the right. That's the right reaction. We've we've learned nothing yeah. in fifty years because so many of these scenarios are identical to what happened in Vietnam. So with the Pentagon Papers, uh, it was a report uh, commissioned by then uh, Secretary of Defense John McNamara uh, to kind of evaluate mm-hmm. the the effectiveness and the strategies of uh, the war in Vietnam. And it's pretty much the same thing where there were innumerable people uh, within the uh, three different presidential administrations uh, who said that the war was unwinnable, that the uh, the will of the Viet Cong and the North Vietnamese was uh, uh, far outstripping the, uh, the South Vietnamese army. Um, it's just... It's it's so it's so crazy that it's so similar that it 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 infuriates yeah. me. So we've spent 
just from the Depense Depart uh, Defense Department uh, allocated almost a trillion dollars to Afghanistan. A trillion, and that doesn't include the intelligence agencies on top of that, and NGOs and and um, uh, other groups that that have been part of the conflict. Um, Almost 3,000 people have been killed, uh, just U.S. personnel, 20,000 people injured, uh, tens of thousands of Afghan uh, soldiers on top of, you know, tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of civilians uh, killed or injured. Um, and nothing, nothing like we, we've heard nothing about this over, especially with uh, um during the Trump administration, we've heard nothing except that we want to get out at some point. During the Obama administration, it was the Afghans need to uh, support themselves and be responsible for this uh, as we're still funneling. There was one part of the report that was saying there was one uh, um, uh, military personnel or, or a person in the U.S. military who was uh, required to spend $3 million daily within a district that was smaller than most U.S. counties. Isn't that crazy? It's just, it, it's it's mind-boggling how much money and time and effort and blood, blood has been interest. wasted. Yep. Um, and then the the, the similarities to uh, the corruption of, of the uh, Afghan uh, government uh, and the Afghan military, where uh, members who sign up for the military would just pay off officers so they don't have to show up for training or to do anything, which yeah. is exactly the same thing that the South Vietnamese army did. And just you know, funneling gas out of U.S. military bases. Uh, it's been the highest casualty rate since the Afghan war started, I think, last year. Uh, and then the opium trade is the highest that it's been in Afghanistan since the beginning of the war. I think it accounted for over 80 percent of the global opium trade uh, was uh, originated in Afghanistan. And we just continue to pour money into this. And, and we've been lied to yes. every step well, of the Well, that's way. the key, right? Everybody knew this. Well, I should say everybody on the inside knew this. They're talking about this and they don't do anything about it. So mm -hmm. there's, there's, yeah, I, I'm struck in two different ways. One is what happened and how awful it is. And that the government, and whether you are a Democrat or a Republican listening to this, you should be pissed off. Because the Bush administration, the Obama administration, and the Trump administration have been bipartisan in their cover-up of this. Right. And so, so that, and then as you alluded to earlier, the fact that nobody cares about this, right. this story broke and it was, you know, it's still on the, the main page of the Washington Post, but nobody's really talking about it. Right. Everybody's talking about the IG report, the impeachment hearing, this, this should be the story. Well, I, I mean, on top of that, like this is, we talk about the media. I especially talk mm -hmm. about the media all the time. I will say this is a perfect example of fantastic journalism, yes. the way that it should be oh. done. It's in-depth, it's analytical, all the you know, the the right points are there. You it's talk user to the right friendly. people, it's user-friendly. Yes. <laughs> you can go in there and, and listen to the, they, they've got the actual quotes in there. Right, yeah. You can all, listen to the person of, saying yeah, it. It's, this is all data and quotes and everything that you could possibly need. And no, none of you are paying attention yeah. to it. You should be screaming about this. Yes. This is a trillion dollars that could have gone back into our economy. Are you kidding me right now? <laughs> My phone rang. <laughs> Just throw it, just throw it out the window. Uh, um, it's Afghanistan calling. It's, they're really not happy about this. Uh, this is yeah, the Defense Department. Um, it, it's it's just it's it's 
it's infuriating. It, it is. It absolutely is. The money spent, and you you went into a lot of detail uh, about how terrible you know the the funds that were wasted. There we go. <laughs> Having all kinds uh, of you know, a trillion dollars. You think about the way in which a trillion dollars could impact U.S. infrastructure, U.S. schools, all of that. This is not like, you know, we throw around a million dollars here and there. It's no big deal. But a trillion dollars investing into try to building into building a country. And it's basically been almost wa- all wasted. Well, I mean, more than that, there's one thing where whatever, you know, military waste money. Yeah. Waste plenty of money. But then you have members of Congress and members of these administrations being given reports on the fact that this isn't working and mm-hmm. just willfully reshaping reality long before fake news before any yes. of all yeah. this is just and there was I, i'm going to go back to it again if you can find the documentary please watch it it was probably 2008 2009 i think it was called um this is what winning looks like and it's just it shows blatant corruption within the afghan military and the government what U.S. troops have had to put up with, you know, the the grunts on the ground and even the uh, the commanders within these military bases. And uh, it's it's just the fact that we've allowed this to happen and have said nothing about it. And we continue to just be fascinated by this political circus that we've just kind of become a part that's become part of our, our daily lives. While this is going on, people are dying. We're wasting our our our. Our, our money, our, 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 you know, our taxpayer dollars are, are going towards this and we're doing nothing about it. And this should shape any future conversation about regime change anywhere mm-hmm. because it, it's not easy. I mean, think about the cases. It's not just Afghanistan. It's Iraq. It's Haiti. It's Libya. There's a long list of places where we've talked about rebuilding those those new c- countries into a, a new regime. It never works out well. I'm struck by the degree to which when George W. Bush ran for office, he was against nation building. Right. I mean, he was against what was going on in Yugoslavia, and he was saying we got to get out of Bosnia, and he was probably right. And then 9-11 changes him where he says we've got to remake these countries, and it was just a terrible, terrible mistake. I remember talking to a professor from the University of Wisconsin uh, who was like an expert in in Afghanistan right after 9-11. And he said the worst thing the United States could do is try to remake that country. Mm-hmm. You know, history speaks to how difficult it's going to be. And we tried and we failed. And there's and then, been no army that's ever been able to do it. No, the and Romans then, weren't able to do it. Right, Napoleon right. wasn't able to do it. The Russians weren't able to do it. And as awful as that was, then to your point, we covered up and we lied to the American public and say, no, we're making progress. We're doing a great job. And we weren't. It's it's awful. This is and as much as there obviously needs to be a separation between, you know, a civilian government and uh, the 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 military that that uh, responds to the, the the civilian government, the initial conception of what was supposed to be done in Afghanistan was changing the balance of power yeah. between Iran, Pakistan, Russia, kind of that area, and then more and more voices kind of came into the room, especially the D.C. political voices where, you know, we need to uh, create democracy. We need to uh, uphold, you know, women's rights. We need to uh, uh, create something in our uh, a a, a government in our own image in that, uh, you know, part of the world so we can have a, a stable partner there. And as time went on, you hear these people that that were doing these interviews for for the report going not yeah. long after that, we had no idea what the hell we were supposed yeah. to do. It's, it's, it's 
it's mind blowing. Degree- you should all read yes, the reports. Absolutely. Uh, and th- that's the one thing that came out of if you go back to you mentioned, you know, the Vietnam War, Nixon and Johnson. The one thing that comes through is that there was this fear that you can't lose in Vietnam, but you also know there's no way to win. Right. And you're stuck there. And that's the same thing that's happening in Afghanistan. You can't lose Afghanistan, but there's no way to win. Mm-hmm. So what do you do? You just muddle through. You know, it's a quagmire. You never get out. And I think that's that's where we're at. No, I, I mean, I, I've said it. I know I've said it before. Armies are designed to achieve an objective and then leave. Yeah. We've spent more in Afghanistan, I think, by several measures just in that tiny little country than we spent throughout all of Western Europe, rebuilding Western Europe after World oh, War II. Oh, absolutely. The Marshall Plan. It's 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 far more than yeah. the Marshall Plan. It, it like yeah. How, do you, how do you do this? So the yeah. question is, is it was it just that we were te- were terrible at nation building or we shouldn't try nation building? Shouldn't and try I, it. I, I don't know. I mean, I think I, my, my initial impulse is we should be very cautious about trying to topple regimes. But for a trillion dollars, you should be able to get better results. No, uh, yeah. no. I, I, yeah. I mean, that should prove that throwing money at a problem doesn't solve anything. Yeah. And realistically, if you want to go back to Vietnam, the initial conception, especially if we're talking about JFK and you know the early days of the cold war and what it meant to uphold democracy or uh at least uphold human rights yeah. and the ability for countries to dictate their own method of government as long as they respect the the citizenry it was we were supporting yeah. uh ho chi minh yeah. and you know the 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 rebellion against the um uh the japanese um and after world war ii happened uh, you know, they were realistically lean, leaning towards communism. And that, as much as I think that I, I don't agree with that, I think the fact that they were so integrally uh, uh, helped by uh, American assets, they were exceptionally grateful of that. So I, I, I find it hard to believe that democracy works everywhere. And, and even within the report, it says that with the creation of the central government, um, it would take 100 years to do that, which the U.S. didn't have. And on top of that, the uh, Afghans weren't used to having a central government. So you're trying to install something that wasn't going to work to begin with. Um, you need to respect the cultural norms of a country and an understanding of what politics looks like, the tribalism of the country, and what is the most effective for the people who are living within that space. Democracy does not work everywhere. And, and maybe not invade another country while you're trying to fix the first one. Well, that's one. neither here nor there, because they had weapons of mass destruction. So I don't know what you're talking it's, about. It's a great if, right? <laughs> right. You know, if, if the United States had not shifted gears to Iraq, would things have come out differently? But that's another topic, Nick. <laughs> we got to talk malarkey. Yeah, let's do that. And I love this one. <clears throat> so... Uh, Joe Biden's 2020 campaign released a much discussed ad last week calling Donald Trump, quote, the president the world is <laughs> laughing at, unquote. The ad, which has racked up millions of views online, shows world leaders laughing at Trump at the London NATO summit uh, this weekend during his speech to the United Nations General Assembly last year. The ad closes with Biden stating the world sees Trump for what he is, insincere, ill-informed, corrupt, dangerously incompetent and incapable uh, and incapable in my view of world leadership. If we have Donald Trump four more years, we'll have a great deal of difficulty of ever being able to recover America's standing in the world and bringing nations together. (laughs) It's a lot. 
Um, the campaign is preparing to air the ad across Iowa as Biden launches his No Malarkey Tour of Iowa. I love that title. The kids love that. <laughs> Uh, we've been extremely critical of Biden and his campaign thus far, but many are suggesting that this was a home run. I would love to hear who the hell thought that. I wrote it, Nick. I'm sure you did. <laughs> uh, uh, let's play the audio of the ad for our listeners. Uh, and then, Bill, you can offer uh, some reactions. That I sounds think. good. Yeah. Um, see, now we're going to stall for time this because I good. have to remember where the How hell it was. The No Malarkey <laughs> Tour. This is. Oh, we'll get there. I oh, found it. Okay, you got it. All right. <laughs> Hold, please. Yep. Uh, here we go. World leaders caught on camera laughing about President Trump. Several world leaders mocking President Trump. They're laughing at him. My administration has accomplished more than almost any administration in the history of our country. <laughs> Didn't expect that reaction, but that's okay. World leaders mocking and ridiculing him for being completely off balance. Allies are deeply worried about it. They say he's becoming increasingly isolated. Something is very wrong. The world sees Trump for what he is, insincere, ill-informed, corrupt, dangerously incompetent, and incapable, in my view, of world leadership. And if we give Donald Trump four more years, we'll have a great deal of difficulty if ever being able to recover America's standing in the world and our capacity to bring nations together. Got like that just violin there. That's good. <laughs> Great. Yeah. So we're basing this off of a movie trailer. Right, right. <laughs> you know, for me, I felt like this is, and I, I agree, we have correctly been very critical of the Biden campaign, but this was his best moment, or at least this is his best ad um, for a couple of reasons. One, I mean, it is, it's attacking Trump directly. Um, it just felt like finally Biden found some footing. You're shaking your head. You don't agree. No, but I don't agree. At all. Please I, go ahead. No, I mean, of all the and I again, I am deeply worried about Biden and his ability to get through a campaign. The guy, you know, if he, if he were to become president, he would be 78 when he is president. Uh, but this felt to me like this is a good ad. This is something that the public the general public, not just like the partisans uh, could grapple. I mean, could grab onto and say, like, yes. This is the guy we want. He's correctly attacking Trump on something that we can get behind. Nick, this felt to me like a good launching point for his campaign. So no malarkey, <clears throat> no malarkey, which like, come on, man, you're trying to make yourself sound not like a senile old man. And you go with no malarkey in, in an ironic way, in an ironic <laughs> way. Why don't you just come out doing the Charleston while you're at it? Oh, I like that ass. <laughs> um, yeah, like realistically, the ad sounds great. Yeah. You know who put it put it together? Like a twenty two year old. Oh, the Obama people, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Well, no, not the Obama people because they won't even endorse yeah. uh, Joe Biden, which you know that's a separate topic, yeah. but pretty intricately involved. Um, my point is, yeah, it's it's it seems very compelling. Um, it means nothing when it comes to him coming or him going head to head with Trump because when those debates start. This isn't going to matter. I, I, we, I, I have seen enough of Biden where his ability to uh, have a commanding performance uh, in opposition to uh, even people within his own party is suspect at best. When you're going to go up against someone who doesn't give a shit about what he says or what you think sure. or how you feel or what your legacy is, it's not going to matter. But I, I'm thinking about as you were talking, I was thinking about Clinton and Clinton trounced Trump in the in the debates, right? I mean, she's a she's a professional debater I in think that that's way. Up for debate, okay. <laughs> but I mean, she she was supposed to be that was her element, 
And Trump did what Trump did. And I really think that Biden doesn't need to win the debates. He needs to make an argument that I am an ability to reset this process. You know, this week he's kind of suggested that he's only going to serve one term. You know, he would basically serve one term and that would be it as a way of, you know, he's not a revolutionary candidate. He's somebody who's going to reset the political system, allow us to calm down. To me, that strikes me as a pretty, pretty powerful campaign to say we entered this really weird world with Trump. I'll bring it back to normal. I'll stay for one term. And then we can move back to politics as usual. I, I think that might work. I don't. But it, I mean, based off this ad, this isn't politics as usual. You're playing you're you're playing the Trump game. Yes, this isn't. You, we're going to make things normal again. This isn't hope. This isn't change. This is this is fear. Yes, this, this is the exact same thing that Trump would use or any any of the other modern day candidates within this cycle have used. The game has changed. Yes. This isn't going back to normal. Well, it has in the sense that he is, but he he feels he feels comfortable, right? He will appeal to the, I mean, he appeals to African Americans. He appeals to moderate Republicans, and I think in that way, that's what the if the Democrats want to win, that's what they have to do. You know, the the far left candidates, and again, Phil's not here, so we can ignore his usual insight. <laughs> uh, would argue that you know you gotta you gotta embrace these big ideas. I don't. I wonder whether this election might be less about big ideas, but more about stability, going back to some sense of normalcy. And he feels really normal, right? You know, in that way where there's not like a nice warm glass of milk. Exactly. You know what you're going to get. And and, and that might be appealing to the voter who hasn't made up his mind. So the Democrats, you know, they're voting Democrat. The the Trump supporters, you know where they're voting. But those undecided voters, they could look at Biden and say, yeah, he's old. But, you know, I kind of like the idea. And then if he picks a an exciting VP candidate. That, that that strikes me as something that could be interesting. Here's here's the other point mm-hmm. of that. So uh, realistically, like I said, there are there are a lot of elements of this ad that do not play on people's hopes; they play on fear. Yeah. Oh yeah. And realistically, yeah. when it comes to especially when you talk about Europe and the place of 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 um, the U.S. within the global system and world leaders laughing at you know America and whatnot, and the only segments of the population that it appeals to are one uh republicans who hate the globalized system and don't want to have anything to do with that anyway so we're going to stick with trump or two elements uh uh progressive elements within the democratic party who think that this is out of control and we need to do something drastic and fear tactics fear tactics are going to work to bring people into the fold i would add a third fine <laughs> centrist voters no <laughs> who uh, who might be a no? Who might be especially centrist Republicans, who might be troubled with what Trump is up to, and see Biden as a transition period. Right? I I can't you know if you're I can't take another four years of him. Biden is more acceptable to me than you know than than somebody more extreme. Whether it is you know uh, uh, Bernie or Elizabeth Warren, I wonder whether that couldn't make a difference in what's going to be a really close election. Mm, I'm going to say no. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I will say like, I've been reluctant to defend Biden, but this was the first time where I thought, ah, oh, they got something right now. Even that, even that being said, his speech in the ad, it's still a struggle. So that means that was right. the best they could come up with. Right. This wasn't, you know, and so I, I wonder how you're right. How is he going to do during debates? How is he going to do when they can't take the best cut? I, I, 
so it's so, gonna get ugly so I, yeah i'm sorry go ahead no no ages so i was so election day trump would be 74 bernie would be 79 he's the oldest but bernie feels like he's been in his 70s since he was 30 so that's kind of you know uh biden would be 78 and warden would be 71 mm-hmm. i mean all of them are so old nick yeah we just seem to dismantle this system <laughs> It is. It's, it's. I. I think there's a good argument for saying we need to rethink what is important in our presidential candidates. Oh yeah, I would love to have uh, you know younger candidates in there, but they're clearly batshit insane. So I also don't want that. Yeah. But you know, that's this, a, that's a discussion for another. This will be fun on. to watch as it plays out. So mm-hmm. all right, next next topic. So it's not often that we talk about the International Court of Justice on the podcast. I no, think we've never talked about that. Yeah. But on <laughs> Tuesday, the, the International Court of Justice, or ICJ, opened an important case dealing with the alleged genocide in Myanmar. The tiny West African nation of Gambia filed a lawsuit with the World Court in November alleging that Myanmar, also known as Burma, committed, quote, genocidal acts that were intended to destroy the Rohingya as a group through mass murder, rape, and destruction of communities. On Tuesday, Gambia will, or today, or actually yesterday, Gambia asked the 15-judge court to compel Myanmar, the Myanmar government, and military to end all acts that amount to or contribute to genocide and to stop Myanmar from destroying evidence related to the case. Most fascinating is that leading the Myanmar defense will be Aung San Suu Kyi. She spent 15 years under house arrest and is seen, was seen as a global leader in human rights and is a Nobel uh, Peace Prize winner. Yeah, now Greta, she (laughs) finds herself defending Myanmar's military campaign of violence that has forced more than 740,000 Rohingya to flee into neighboring Bangladesh. And in 2016, in 2016 and 2017, the atrocities have been described as genocide by a UN fact finding commission. But Myanmar denies the charges and has long claimed to have been targeting terrorists. Nick, the ICJ has no sovereign authority in this case, but it's still a really fascinating one. What's your your sense of the significance significance of the case? Uh, of the case itself, it's of no significance because nobody pays attention to the ICJ. Um, <laughs> this podcast, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> so this is interesting. So I, I just some background. Um, when I was in college, the the first class that I actually took with Bill, we were yeah. talking about the uh, the Rohingya. Uh, and the the ICC and the I, uh, ICJ. Oh, that's right. Um, and then when I uh, worked out in DC, uh, when I was doing political stuff, uh, we were helping members of Congress write legislation uh, condemning the, the the treatment of the Rohingya, um, which again nobody paid attention to, got no uh, press whatsoever. Um, but it's it's a really it's a really interesting case. And if you look into it, it's absolutely genocide. There there's no to uh, you know. Uh, any way around it. Um, there is video evidence of, of uh, uh, Burmese police going in and, and burning down villages, which the villages themselves are borderline concentration camps or, or not concentr- uh, uh, slums or, or ghettos, yeah. uh, you know, taking children away, uh, raping women and, you know, people having to flee in these makeshift rafts and constantly just just dying on, on the journey, trying to, to get away from this. Um it's it's horrific. Um, and then Aung San Suu Kyi was supposed to be this kind of beacon of hope through through all of this. And, you know, there was I think that the documentary was Burma VJ or something yeah. like that, um, you know, where it was when uh, Burma was still under the control of uh, the military and the generals. And then all of a sudden we were moving towards democracy. And this was this so great exciting. thing. Yeah. And then everything fell to pieces again. 
and she just seemed like a, a, a mouthpiece for the military. Um, and it's it's just crazy how that's happened, I mean, considering what she's gone through. Nobel Peace Prize winner, and then now defending herself in the ICJ for charges of genocide. Right. So, and realistically, I don't have a lot of background in this specific case. Do you have any concept of why Gambia brought this forward? Because that seems like a weird thing to begin with. Uh, no. Okay. <laughs> well, a couple of things. One, it's a uh, Muslim majority country. So I'm guessing yes, that's I, probably that's what was that's, my yeah. conception. Of it. And, you know, they're a smaller country. So if you can get some attention in the UN by doing this, this is significant. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So that, that is my, that's my thought, but I, I don't know exactly what the motivations were mm-hmm. to your point. I think you're spot on. I think this is an instance of clear genocide. Genocide is difficult to prove because it comes down to intent. So the idea is that you have to you have to intend to destroy in whole or part a racial, national, ethnical group, right, or religious group. Like you're trying to destroy that group, and this feels like the evidence is pretty overwhelming. Right. It's not. There's a distinction like war crimes where you're you know you're try, you're angry with a group, but you're not trying to destroy them. But this feels like there is clear intent to target a population. And to shrink that population. Right. So, I mean, just background on yeah. this. Uh, Burma or Myanmar, whichever you mm-hmm. prefer, is a, a Buddhist majority country, is it not? Yeah. So it's not even the dynamic that you would normally have of you yeah. know, Christians and Muslims or different sects of Muslims or, or something like that. This is a, a, a dichotomy that seems very obvious yeah. to me. Um, and uh, yeah, the, the the numbers don't lie. It seems yeah. It seems exceptionally obvious that this is targeted specifically on a group of people and yeah. a, 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 a not nationality but what's what's uh, ethnicity or, or re- religion or religion. Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah right and, and you can think about in the case of sudan so sudan was an issue where it came before the international criminal court of genocide uh with bashir targeting the darfur mm-hmm. and and ultimately that was i think that was not a case of genocide it was a case of of war crimes and crimes against humanity but this feels like there is intent and if there's intent, the world community has to step forward. And, and again, we oftentimes throw around the term genocide too loosely, but this feels like a case where that this absolutely should happen. And for me, like you mentioned, the stunning reality of, of, of Su Chi standing up there and defending the regime. Oh, I, I just like it, it makes me hurt that you can go from Nobel Prize winner to defending your country against oh, yeah. genocide. I, uh, like it was... <laughs> There and you know not to. There was just so much when when I heard that the the, the military government was stepping down in oh. uh, and to be replaced by a civilian government led by Aung San Suu Kyi. This was something that I never thought the I the world would celebrated see this. Yeah. yeah, everybody celebrated that, and it's just this business as usual shit. And I yeah. feel like it was putting lipstick on this awful pig. And That's a good I, way of putting I, it. I just I, I just you want to think that things change in these situations and you know we can have these these bloodless transitions of power in these areas that have been exceptionally bloody but it seems like as more and more time goes on we we talk about this or you know sudan and south sudan or or anything like that it's just india right now i mean right identity politics are are resurging in a way that we it's really scary yeah and as much as i i make fun of the icj or the ic uh, icc like there does need to be some sort of governing body that yeah. can respond to this and no you know we talk about europe and and 
you know, how, how from our, our, our early eyes topics, are rolling. I, I, <laughs> like I can't, I, I can't, it, they, they want to talk about what democracy is and how the U S is failing that the globalized system, you're doing nothing for any of these people, just as much as we're doing yeah. nothing. So until someone steps up and actually does something, um, I, like I, I, I have no, I have no respect for, for them. Well, that's an important point because when you think about this, so the reason this case has moved to the ICJ is because we're talking about two relatively insignificant, not powerful countries. Mm-hmm. I mean, Myanmar and the Gambia. If this was the United States or this was a European country or any, anybody who China, I mean, we, oh, we've, God. we've talked with the Uyghurs, right? I mean, it, that, that case isn't moving to the ICJ. Because, well, they make all of our shit, so we don't right, care that right. much. But I mean, that's a, it's two small countries that don't have a lot of power, so we can hold them accountable for genocide. Mm-hmm. Big countries don't get held accountable for this. <laughs> no, so. they don't. We have things to do. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> God. That was an interesting one. Yeah. Okay. Final topic. And I've never gotten to actually introduce this one. So I'm 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 so excited. I'm excited too. (laughs) We're going, uh, going with our favorite game. (laughs) Uh, Regular listeners uh, will know that this is a fairly common occurrence on the podcast. Uh, Today, we're going to play a game we introduced at the live show called What's More Problematic? I love that game, Nick. (laughs) Uh, This is a game where we review two recent events and try to determine which is more problematic. So event one, uh, last Friday, the president said he ordered a federal review of water efficiency standards in the bathroom because, <laughs> quote, people are flushing toilets 10 times, 15 times as opposed to once, end quote. He did note that, quote, there may be some areas <laughs> where we'll go the other route, desert areas. But for the most part, you have many states where they have so much water that comes down. It's called rain. <laughs> They don't know what to do with it. End quote. This one is better if we listen to the tape. So let me find the tape. Oh, uh, here we go. Play. <laughs> Play. Situation where we're looking very strongly at sinks and showers and other elements of bathrooms where. Uh, you turn the faucet on in areas where there's tremendous amounts of water, where the water rushes out to sea because you could never handle it, and you don't get any water. You turn on the faucet, you don't get any water. They take a shower and water comes dripping out. It's dripping out very quietly, dripping out. Quietly dripping. People Nick. are flushing toilets 10 times, 15 times, as opposed to once. <laughs> they end up using more water. So EPA is looking at that very strongly at my suggestion. Uh, you go into a new building or a new house or a new home and they have standards on where you don't get water. You can't, you can't wash your hands practically. There's so little water comes out of the faucet. And the end result is you leave the faucet on and it takes you much longer to wash your hands. You end up using the same amount of water. Yeah, so we're Grandpa. looking at uh, very seriously <laughs> at opening up the standard. And uh, there may be some areas where we'll go the other route desert areas but for the most part you have many states where they have so much water that it comes down it's called rain <laughs> that they don't know they don't know what to do with it so <laughs> we're going to be opening up that i i believe and we're looking at uh, changing the standards very soon we get the idea yeah oh god no no <laughs> stop it it's called rain i don't want the click chair yeah um anyways that's it that's I like event number one, Nick. You like I'm, I'm excited one? for event number two. Oh, God. 
And we don't, don't, we don't, don't add don't the bell. <laughs> I have so many things going on right now. Too many jobs for Nick right now. <laughs> Event number two. Uh, speaking of the Israeli-American Council National Summit in Florida, Trump stated that those in the crowd who were in the real estate business were, quote, brutal killers, not nice people at all. But you have to vote for me. You have no choice, end quote. Again, this is also way better if we go to the tape. I love when we go to the tape, Nick. The tapes are the best. It is, because you get to hear, you know, it. we read it's one thing, but listening's another. You know what's better than yeah. that? When you continue to stall, and I okay, really we gotta, appreciate we gotta... it. No, I, like, that's the best thing that could buy. Here we go. We got the tape. A lot of you are in the real estate business, because I know you very well. You're brutal killers. Not nice people at all, but you have to vote for me. You have no choice. You're not going to vote for Pocahontas, I can tell you that. You're not going to vote for the wealth tax. Yeah, let's take 100% of your wealth away. No, no. Even if you don't like me, some of you don't. Some of you I don't like at all, actually. And you're going to be my biggest supporters because you'll be out of business in about 15 minutes. If So, (laughs) on that note, Bill, I ask you, what is more problematic? I know what you're thinking, Nick. I know you're thinking I'm going to say... The anti-Semitic stuff, the the bigoted stuff. Anti-Semitic stuff? Yeah. Yeah. The the second one, the the telling the Jewish people that they're going to vote based on money. Yeah. All right. Go, the bo- whatever. The Pocahontas stuff. Please like, go. Deeply problematic. Uh-huh. Buy our mug. Um, <laughs> but, you know, for me, what honestly upset me more, or actually, it's funny and upsetting, was the first one about the toilets. Is this a real problem, Pray Nick? I, 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 I. Are you flushing a toilet 10 or 15 times? I mean, I do that just because of my OCD, but <laughs> I think this might be an, a problem specific to the presidency. He's eating all those filet of fish, right? That that you can't, I, I, I don't think you should be eating Big Macs and filet of fish. I think that might be the problem. Um, you just open a drainage right. pipe into those things. <laughs> right. And it's sort of funny, but at the same time, it matters because, you know, he's he's undermining subtly the environmental movement, which I think we've talked about, like, this is a real issue, right? I'm, I'm genuinely worried about climate change and how this is going to impact us. So for me, making fun of like the shower and the water restrictions and all of that, like I, I, that, that troubles me and therefore more problematic. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's no fun. <laughs> all right, here. Yeah, here's here's the thing with the first one. Yeah. And like, I, I, I understand the point. Yeah, I, I take that point. I, I want to translate a little bit. Sure. Like realistically, again, we're going to play the game of if I was there. Yeah. If if there was a, a translator that could create a strategy based around what he said. Yes. It's that. Um, yes, there are environmental concerns depending on the region that you uh, yeah. inhabit in, in the U.S. Des- so desert, desert or otherwise. Or other places where it apparently <laughs> yes. rains. Right. Um, it's rushing to the oceans. But we have a surplus of, of water in some areas and a, a dearth of, of water in other areas. We need to be able to kind of yeah. equalize those two things. So we need to create a more efficient water transfer system around the country that can support those areas that makes it more environmentally friendly for everyone where we're not using the resources that are in one area and can transfer excess from other areas. That'd be that great, Nick. I know. Oh. See, that's not problematic at all. Like the internet tubes, if we could do something like if that. If we could just do this, <laughs> just a giant water tube everywhere. Right. Um, I, I don't find that tr- uh, problematic at all. The way that he put it, I find troubling. Yeah. But 
Um, do, do you really think that's his intent? <laughs> I don't know. Okay. I'm put. I'm giving you what I have okay. in my yeah. head yeah. because sure. that makes me sleep at yeah. night. Yes. Um, number two, I don't necessarily think that he was specifically saying while while it was a Jewish group who was yeah. who was there. He was specifically saying people in real estate. Yeah. I don't think he was specifically saying jewish people in real estate i think he's known a lot of people in real estate who happen to be jewish but i think it was more people in real estate are generally sharks or generally you know yeah. pit bulls who are mean who who are you know frankly they're they're business people well, and they're the crowd laughed right so that's right. that's an important right element to this understanding so of this they anecdote. clearly yeah. weren't that you know, yeah. taken aback by it, which I'm sure some 23 year old reporter who was reporting on it was taken aback. By well, it. there was there was like this caused a very divisive divide. Like there were some groups who were Jewish groups who were condemning this and others said it's not that big of a deal, yeah, I, yeah. which, again, this is more shit. This is not investigative yeah. journalism. This is you're trying to make a point yeah. on something, in my opinion, um, I, for that reason, specifically, not necessarily because what he said, but because of how you're trying to frame the argument. I would say that's more problematic. Yeah. So there, you can have that. This this is a <laughs> this is a fun game. <laughs> I, I just I uh, I I think that the first one sounds unhinged, <laughs> but I, I'm 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 not even sure what the intent of it was necessarily. Right, you know, Trump in terms of when he makes the the environmental argument, you know, for a big audience, he always talks about he wants clean water and clean air. And I get why he does that. I think it, it frustrates me because I think the climate is more than clean water and clean air. This felt like a tangent. And mm -hmm. yeah, I wonder what those around him were doing. I'm guessing they were like shaking their heads. Like, don't talk about like dripping water that's coming down. So <laughs> when we saw the first part where he was talking about light bulbs. Oh, my God. Yes. <laughs> yes. About how light bulbs make him look orange and people were laughing at it. And, you, know, you, you know, you know what I'm yeah. talking about. Everybody's laughing. Oh, <laughs> he really is entirely unique than anything we've ever seen in the presidency for those reasons. Yeah. Um, there was another point that I was going to make on the second one. I forgot my point too. I was, uh, there was something else. Yeah. That's what we do. Yeah. Um, oh, that, um, his second point that he made in, in, uh, in event number two, yeah. where he's going, you have to vote for me because you're, you know, Pocahontas isn't going to help yeah. you. The wealth tax, you know, you're not going to give all your money away. That's an important thing. You can't discount that as much as he is who he is and he says what he does. And it sounds crazy sometimes. That point holds a lot of weight, especially in a room like that yes. with those people. Now, we should it's for our listeners. Yeah, we should note it's not 100 percent. Nick. <laughs> what do you mean that they don't take all your money? Who the, the government? No, they he take said all was, your money. Yeah, <laughs> they took they take so, all your money. They're already uh, taking half yeah. of my money. Why can't they take more than that? They only need the other half. We need to talk more about Finland, Nick. I'm, Can I'm we really interested in talking about Finland because they appear to have figured out the social welfare state, but fully embracing capitalism. You know, the we, fuck are you talking? There was about? one of these. We were gonna, one of our initial topics was going to be <laughs> Finland, and we kicked it to the side. But I really, I think at some point when we got Phil back, as he could make the you know the Finnish case, we got to talk about <laughs> Finland and capitalism. We got to have Tom on for that as well. There should no one should be able to make the Finnish case. I love it. Nick. I love it. <laughs> they recently elected the youngest woman in uh, prime minister around the world. It's really, yeah, it's, it's fascinating. Yeah, yeah. So this was not on the on. Yeah, I'm I, sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm riffing. No, yeah. no, 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 no. That. No, I was going to add something else. This was not on the thing. And, mm -hmm. I, and I made a joke about it earlier. Uh, Greta Thunberg. Yeah. Person of the year. 
time, right? Yeah. Yeah. What you think about that? I, you know, I find her in good company. Hitler. Um, oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, There's other really people, great people. Um, I love I you know what I I admire her determination to say there's a cause I care about and uh, I'm going to do whatever I can. I mean, she's like paddling across the oceans, Nick. No, she's not. Well, you know, it's or wind or power or something. Oh, no. Well, you mean when she like hires a team that does that for her yeah. and then flies back because yeah. she can't. Well, there's do it herself. You know, it's still, you know, somebody's. I thought you were supposed to be in school. <laughs> On the other side of the ocean. Well, here's the thing. I, you know, I, I, I get the pushback against her, but I also think like, you know, she's a young person who cares about the environment. I think there need to be more people who push on that. I think, yeah. yes, I agree. And she may not be people. the best spokesman, but, you know, she's young and we don't always appreciate the way in which you know, we're going to be understood. So I also I feel like there are individuals who vilify her in a way that yes. may not always be appropriate. I agree. Yeah. I, I don't think she's the right vessel for this particular no. movement. No, but um, history's messy, Nick. <laughs> history's messy. <laughs> well, when you try and create history when you're in the mainstream media, you know, you can do whatever the hell you want. But, oh, you know, whatevs. I love the idea of can you control history? Does history control you? Well, history is written by the winners, and the winners apparently tend to be the, the media at this point. <laughs> Nick, we're all losers now. <laughs> well, no. <laughs> well, that's why we drink. This is good. We're, we're solving it all right now. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> uh, well, we miss Phil, but yeah. this was fun. Um, yeah, guys, if you uh, like the podcast, have questions, comments, beer suggestions, like the, just like I said at the beginning, um, follow us on Twitter uh, at Barstool Paul, P-O-L, Facebook at Barstool Politics. Beers that we try, you can find on Untapped on iOS or Android. Just look for Barstool Politics on there. Uh, the podcast, uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play Music, most major podcasting platforms. Uh, review us, share us, like us through there. We always appreciate the support. Uh, and then we have our merch line. So check us out on teespring.com. Um, you can find a direct link on uh, the social media channels that I gave you uh, just 20 seconds ago. Um, but yeah, mugs, uh, t-shirts. Um, hoodies. Hoodies. Or hoodie. Hoodie. Um, our coexist with the the human and the fish t-shirt. Uh, I love that one, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> that was one of my better creations. Yeah. Um, yeah. So definitely check that out. Um, anything else, Bill? I think we're good. Good. This was fun. Hopefully Phil is back next week. And I think we're going to have Tom next yeah. week too, right? Yep. It's going to be a good one. Stay tuned for that. See you next week. Cheers. Shut up and sit down.